0: hello and welcome to the paper lantern a career-focused podcast for students and young professionals i'm your host derek wong and my goal is to help light up your career path by sharing stories advice and perspectives from relatable role models each episode i sit down with an inspiring achiever creator or professional who's excited to share their advice to help you discover your passion or get unstuck if each episode represents one paper lantern My dream is to fill the sky with paper lanterns for the whole world to see. Thanks for listening to the Paper Lantern Podcast, and I hope that you enjoy each episode. Hey, thanks for joining another episode of the Paper Lantern Podcast. In today's episode, I get to sit down with my dear friend, Melania Lotti. Melania is an infrastructure finance analyst at the World Bank, where she focuses on massive infrastructure and energy projects for emerging countries. And through her work, She literally helps turn on the lights and keep water clean for millions of people in developing countries across Southeast Asia and the world. I met Melania out here in Singapore, where we were flatmates, the proper English term for roommates at a co-living space with other expats. I got to know Melania quite well as we survived the first COVID pandemic circuit breaker, an extended seven week lockdown order by the Singapore government, where we were all required to more or less stay completely inside. As a result, we shared a kitchen, dining room, living room, and the kitchen table ended up being our de facto office. And while I was pitching the startup that I was working on to different VCs and angel investors, Melania would be working to broker deals with government agencies around the world to help finance roads, electric grid projects and power plants all around the world. As a tech and gaming industry veteran, I never met anybody from the economic development or policy side and found her world to be absolutely enthralling. And vice versa, she had never met too many startup founders or folks that came from a tech background. And as a result, I learned so much about her field of study, and she learned all about the world of early stage tech investing. I know I took a long pause in recording new episodes, but Melania was at the top of my list for folks that I would love to profile and share her story with you. Born and raised in a small village in Italy, her studies and a career path have taken her far to international places like Korea, the United States, and eventually on to Singapore where we met. Talk about an international life. Melania is a jovial, multi-talented, and very multilingual person who is always learning something new. Whether it's hosting a book club and debate society with her friends, taking sailing lessons, or even learning to swim, Melania is one of the most interesting and awesome people that I know. Oh yeah, and she also makes a damn delicious tiramisu from scratch, taking a page from her grandmother's recipe. Melania has so many amazing stories from her time at the World Bank. But unfortunately, due to confidentiality clauses, we won't be able to go into too much detail, as we want to make sure that neither of us get in trouble. I hope you enjoy our wide-ranging conversation that spans her early childhood in Europe and her journeys
1: across Asia. Thanks so much, and enjoy the show. the Paper Lantern podcast,
0: I'm here with my dear friend Melania. Care to introduce yourself to our listeners today?
2: Hi, Derek, and uh, hi, everyone. Um, uh, It's a pleasure to be here, to be invited Mm -hmm. to this podcast. Um, My name is Melania Locke. I I work uh, for the World Bank. Um, uh, For those who are not familiar with uh, what it is, it's uh, an international financial institution that provides uh, loans and grants to the governments of low- and middle-income countries. Uh, mostly for the purpose of uh, pursuing development projects. I don't know if that makes sense to you but essentially this uh how, how i explain it to my grandmother is uh, that that is that's a bank that instead of providing uh you know lending money to individuals it just uh provides money to entire countries and um yeah and uh, we don't have atms so we don't have you know such a thing like you know transfer you know we don't do transfer wise and and this kind of th- stuff it's mostly a govern- governmental type of things Mm-hmm. um i've been working for the world bank for the past 4 years um all uh, in singapore uh before that i worked uh, for some think tanks and research institutes uh, Im- involved in the field of public policy both in europe and uh here in singapore um, yeah my background and like academic background uh is uh, well it's quite like diverse but essentially i studied like political like Social science, like political science, international relations, and uh, economics. I the reason I moved actually to Singapore was for a master's in public policy, um, which uh, had a specialization in uh, economic analysis for public policy, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's how I ended up uh, here. And uh, I hope uh, this uh, is uh, an introduction that uh, is uh, good enough. <laughs> Happy to answer all the questions.
1: Yeah.
0: That's, that's fantastic. And we have a lot of really cool topics to dive deeper into. And let's start first with, you know, where you grew up, you know, the city or the town in Italy, where you're originally from. Could you share our listeners more? You know, what was growing up like? You know, what was your town like? You know, what were the big role models or and what, what kind of shaped your early career?
2: I grew up in a small village in the central north Italy in Tuscany, so um, my mom's family is from there, and uh, I actually basically grew up in the same house where my mom and my grandfather grew, grew up. So um, now that sounds very picturesque, but uh, uh, I was about to
0: say, right? rolling hills, uh, olives, yeah. olives, wine,
2: <laughs> exactly that's not the case uh, so like the, the village where uh, you know i grew up it's not the classic you know tuscany landscape with these hills and vineyards uh the one that you know like people typically go to holidays um it is actually tucked in a more like rough like mountainous landscape Um, which is actually like a carved uh, by a river and the river was actually the driver of like the whole economy of, uh, you know, of of the area, Uh, my village and also a lot of like small villages that are uh, developed along the river uh, because between the 1900s and the early 1980s uh, which is pretty much uh, you know like just before i was born uh, a lot of factories textile factories decided to you know build their facilities um, you know in this area mainly because of the river Uh, actually they were using the river to discharge uh the colored chemicals like when they were like you know coloring the textile um yeah to discharge the chemicals in the water and uh the water was like basically at some point of time changing the color like every day um back at the time there was no like you know robust environmental regulations to prevent this to happen which sounds insane nowadays Mm -hmm. but yeah uh that was uh, actually what it is which is kind of far away from the you know like the imagine of italy that everyone has right Mm -hmm. um yeah uh, of course like by the time that i was born the situation got a bit better right but I still remember that when I was a child and uh, well, actually one of my favorite activities was to swim in that river <laughs> <since there> were, <laughs> yeah there were those swimming pools uh there was uh you know the 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 sea is not nearby so you know I uh, just used to go there with uh, my mom my sisters and you know just have a swim in the river and um yeah sometimes I do remember that the water had a like strange color and some soapy bubbles so there was something like uh, you know weird going on even though it was not as you know uh, I've been hearing from you know past generations that uh, there was really like a period of time that the color of the river was changing literally every day wow. uh, but it was not as bad in my experience um but yeah um still so this is actually I, it was somehow this environment uh was a bit of a part of you know that shapes also my you know interest and aspirations it made me conscious since i was a kid of the impacts of uh, development uh, industrial development that is not sustainable mm-hmm. and um uh yeah so i think that this is uh, somehow like even just the landscape the physical landscape where i grew up kind of uh, yeah uh it's a bit different from what is the you know stereotype easily but uh, kind of made an impact uh, to a certain extent also to for for the the career that uh, i i've been pursuing
0: yeah and, and, um, and before we, we would go just like what was the biggest city near you and was that like were you very far away from the big city or is it something that you would go often to just want to get a sense of you know where this village is relative to a big city nearby
2: yeah really, yeah so it was so the nearest city it's a city called Prato. it's uh, literally like twenty kilometers away, so just about half an hour by car, so very close uh it's but it's quite a like small city and uh um nearest to, like a bit larger city and more famous city is Florence, which is uh, still oh, cool. um, fifty kilometers away um yeah. I mean I don't know what's the equivalent in miles for you okay, so <laughs> twenty miles
1: around twenty miles, yeah Wow.
2: um so um that was uh, about 1 hour driving which by american standards i guess it's like very very close right um mm-hmm. which for let's put it this way for like italian standards it's like you know like not super close not super far either but yeah. you know it's, it's far enough to especially you know like if you're a kid and you know if your family either you know don't have a car or don't have the you know, possibility to drive you around and there's not great connectivity. It's kind of far enough, like to make you feel that you're not, you know, yeah, you're kind of living in a bit of a different, uh, you know, environment. Yeah.
1: So
0: comparing, you know, your, the smaller town or the village where you grew up in the very large Florence. And the only reason I know how to pronounce this is because I played a video game which took place in Italy, but like Ferenze, right? like the very big, you know, uh-huh. the larger city of uh, Florence or Firenze. Like, what was that like for yourself? Did most of the people move on from your small town and go to the big city? What were the big industries and what were, I, I suppose, like the big successful people doing? For example, for myself growing up in the Silicon Valley, everyone's like an engineer or an entrepreneur. And of course, you know, there's lots of highly educated people. You always have this pressure to move in the technology sector. What was that like for yourself, you know, in that part of, uh, of Italy?
2: yeah well uh, that's that's a good question in fact uh um you know this uh economy that was actually like built on this in like textile industries that was uh really like uh covering my village all this small village around and the city like this town of prato which was the closest uh, it was closer than florence um so actually the whole economy of the area um was surrounding this textile industry so um, i guess that like mostly in the city there were you know um factories owners that uh, you know were suc- definitely successful building themselves uh, from the scratch uh, because i think that traditionally you know in that part of italy the economy was really, really like mostly you know agricultural or like you know yeah like uh, grazing mm-hmm. and you know, uh, quite, uh, not, not very advanced, but, uh, mm. these it's, uh, really like this textile development, uh, made a lot of people like, you know, uh, the capital owners to, you know, to, yeah, get themselves very rich and established at the same time in my village, actually, most of the people were, you know, actually like workers, right. You know, like yeah. just going, commuting, going to the factories, working there. And, um, funny enough, I mean, uh, well, not so funny. In fact, mm. um, Uh, During the years of my childhood, which is approximately in the 90s. Um, there was actually quite a big economic downturn, uh, also caused by, you know, uh, global competition, like manufacturers, like, you know, relocating to overseas to, like, cheapest uh, cheaper locations. Manufacturers closed down. Um, and so this actually left behind uh, not only, you know, a lot of unemployment, but also, like, the skeletons of these, like, abandoned industrial premises, mm-hmm. which actually today still mark uh, the landscape. So yeah. it's it's funny because I think that today the whole area is trying to, uh, it's trying and I think also to a certain extent extent quite successfully to um, revamp itself, revamp its tourism and kind of, uh, you know, um, combine this uh, these part of its history, which is also kind of left, left some scars, mm-hmm. uh, which is the industrial one to something that also, you know, has some charm and uh, can be explored and can be, uh, you know, can give a different uh, perspective of what, uh, you know, Italy can be. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So, yeah, I think that nowadays, like when I I was growing up, actually, yes, a lot of people uh, like, uh, you know, my father's itself was commuting like to the largest city. My father was working in Florence, so it was, uh, you know, quite a, you know, uh, quite some commute uh, every day to, to get there um, other people that were working in the village mostly you know small shop owners you know mm-hmm. like small services like postal services you know uh, like basic services like that, that were uh, out there but um, yeah that was basically like yeah the, the economy that um, was dominating and um, mm-hmm. then certain extent still dominating the area
0: yeah and then you're just, a, just kind of jumping forward and you're going from an early childhood then going to university in the bigger city of uh, Florence, how did you decide what you wanted to do, you know, with your career? Was it a definitive, hey, you know, because of my experiences growing up in a small town and always just thinking about, you know, the factories and uh, you used a lot of uh, econo- uh, economics terms, so it, was it a focus on that? You're just interested in, you know, capital, the inflow and outflow of labor. How did you, you know, figure out what you wanted to do, you know, when you were at university?
2: Yeah, I mean, this was definitely not a linear path. I think mm-hmm. that uh, I, I mean, I wish I knew. I mean, there there are some people that kind of you know, were kids and say, oh, I want to, wanna grow up, I want to be a doctor, and you know, just gonna mm-hmm. go for it, right? But that yeah. was uh, you know, not me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I wanted to do that many things. I have. I think that in general, one of my characteristics is that um, I'm a curious person, I like uh, many things. And uh, I like uh, to, you know, understand and to, uh, you know, to to understand many different things and to find, uh, um, you know, to to explore uh, different aspects. So um, when I went to, you know, like, I went to high school, actually, uh, during high school, I studied uh, tourism, which Mm -hmm. uh, was, Again one of the main driver uh, of the economy for the you know nearest uh, big city which is Firenze mm-hmm. um, and uh, which by the way it's a city that I was, to just have a uh, uh, come back to my childhood. I was actually visiting quite often because the uh, half of my family on my father's side is uh, actually from Florence, and my you know grandparents were you know are still living, were, were, you know were living there mm-hmm. back in the mm-hmm. time. My grandmother still lives there, and so we used to visit like literally like every weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and this kind of helped me, right? Because it kind of exposed me to a more you know uh international environment as well because florence because it's such a you know uh renewed international um mm-hmm. uh, place for like you know uh, uh, architecture and culture and uh yeah like food as well like it's mm-hmm. just uh um the destination of like many people from all over the world Certainly. so yeah yeah, so um, I was really, I was since, because of my curiosity um, and because of having actually like very little like, you know, role models in terms of career in the reality where I actually grew up, um, I end up having, you know, traveling, like the the exploring part was actually a dominant part of mm-hmm. uh, a dominant, you know, uh, component of what drives my, you know, academic and career decisions. So I went to this high school that was essentially, it was not even a, it was one of these like technical, I don't know how do you, you know, Mm -hmm. vocational education type of schools. It was not even, you know, one of those schools that you would typically, Mm -hmm. you're typically not expected to go to university, let's put it this way. Yeah. Mm, so yeah, and uh, you know, and the main driver was just that I wanted to explore the world, and uh, like my my way of conceiving that was by tourism because that was the the, the thing that was the closest to me to you know international. The exploring.
0: business of exploring,
2: right? Yeah, yeah. Um, funny enough to talk about this stuff nowadays, that you know <laughs> we are like living in this global pandemic and. Uh, yeah. Yeah and uh, the the whole thing the whole the you know business is upside down but yeah um it, it's funny right because one path kind of leads to another so i started with that I, I went you know like to high school in florence and then you know by then i realized that you know i was quite i was very good at school i was quite talented and it was quite a pity to kind of miss out on the opportunity to go to university um um, you know, back at the time, I mean, I don't know how much I want to go into like uh, the small details, but I had yeah, like actually yeah. quite a bit of uh, uh, you know, back and forth uh, with uh, which university path I like to choose, but uh, yeah. um, to keep the story the story short, I ended up um signing in for the political science course uh which uh, had a course in uh journalism right so i was actually you know very passionate because that's another way that i was seeing as exploring the words and actually understanding a bit better like some chunks of the word that uh, you know um are quite disparate like you know are quite diverse like um and journalism kind of covers like many different like aspects like, you know, economy, politics, uh, you know, uh, human rights. And I was just very passionate to, you know, like to make myself useful. Right. Um, So, yeah, I started doing that. And then, you know, sooner rather than later, you kind of come across about, you know, the challenges of the job market. I remember I did my internship in the um, uh, in the press office. It was like the external communication office of a of a bank. Uh, back at the time it was uh 2008, it was September 2008 when I started Ooh, my interest, yeah. exactly. <laughs> When the financial crisis hit, uh, it was actually super interesting, right? Because, uh, well, of course, we were receiving calls like, you know, uh, from all the media asking, you know, what, uh, you know, what type of titles did the, did the bank own that was a sort of, uh, you know, a toxic and, the, you know, was a lot of concerns uh, around all that stuff. And ourselves our, it was the first time actually like dealing with the, you know, not only just me. Of course, there was an intern, so definitely was the first time dealing with anything at all. But it was also right, the more right. stuff, right? It was a very challenging environment. The first time dealing with the, the, the accountability, right, to the the broader public of what the, you know the bank was actually like, you know, uh, buying and selling. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, yeah, so I did my internship, it was super interesting and actually I I I managed to like um you know get a smaller, you know, uh, part-time assignments that would actually, you know, continue my um uh, you know my my experience and my collabor my professional collaboration with the bank uh, alongside with finishing my studies mm-hmm. and but uh, within one year the bank uh, which was a small like local bank was actually absorbed by a, like big conglomerate like I mean uh, not so big but you know larger Italian conglomerate mm-hmm. uh, banking conglomerate and then um, you know there was some uh, you know restructuring and obviously I was the you know last one uh, and the, to to join and the first one to, to be retrenched, mm-hmm. and uh, after that, it started a very, you know, like tough time of, you know, uh, you know, uh, economic downturn for Italy, and uh, youth unemployment was very high. So I remember mm-hmm. it was like very, very hard, to, you know, to find any, you know, skilled job uh for any you know fresh graduate um i remember i kept you know um, I, f- I finished my you know uh bachelor's and um continued my master's uh but you know like doing all these you know like small jobs like uh-huh. so working jobs.
0: while doing your your master's and such right
2: yeah yeah correct and but you know like um Mostly, you know, I am you know, mostly like, yeah, essentially just unqualified jobs. Like, you know, yeah, like,
0: yeah. Teachers, underemployment, as we call teacher, it, right? Yeah, yeah, the yeah,
1: yeah,
0: was yeah, real. Yeah. And then for yourself, you know, what made you choose to go abroad and coming from a smaller town and going to the big city was going abroad to study or moving to other countries very, you know, a big goal of yours, like a big motivator you know, to study in the States or to study you know, across Europe and then eventually to Asia. Was that like a really big priority for you?
2: Yeah, so definitely uh, for a person that was uh, driven mostly, but you know, like, yeah, the uh, mantra of uh, exploring and, um, you know, knowing uh, uh, new cultures, like new things, and knowing the world, uh, definitely, uh, you know, studying and working and living abroad was always uh, a dream. Mm -hmm. Um, a dream that like seemed to be very hard to achieve at some point because uh, yeah it's a um i my my english was very bad by the time Mm. back at the time uh like throughout like okay during high school we learn it at school but it's kind of hard uh, you know if you don't practice it so uh back at the time in the first years of my university i also didn't have any you know laptop like personal laptop right which kind of kind of crazy today so you know those kind of things that you would do today like kind of normal to learn uh, english such as you know just watching a youtube video or you know (laughs) Yeah, yeah and, and shows makes, with
0: subtitles right
2: yeah, yeah yeah correct right so this is the kind of thing that like any like you know young person nowadays have access to but back in the time was a well i didn't have such a thing so you would still go to either you know like uh, the public library where you can find you know like you know a uh, 10 computer for like uh, hundreds of people <laughs> who are queuing for it and then yeah. of course you can't spend the entire like afternoon there browsing for things so yeah um Um, You know, language was a barrier, of course, finance, you know, like the, you know, moving abroad
1: is
0: expensive, you know, I think every, especially, you know, as a, as a American born Chinese person, ABC, a lot of our parents will tell us that they moved with, you know, $50 in our pockets, you know, but that's a really big, scary move, right? And sometimes, you know, that even that flight ticket, you know, and the the hostel or the, the dormitory that you'll be staying at can be really expensive. So money is certainly a big barrier to moving overseas.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. And I mean, it, it's it's uh, very interesting that you bring up, you know, the perspective of migrants, right? Like, mm-hmm, you know, migrants, mm-hmm. uh, you know, migrant parents that, again, like, you know, leave everything. And sometimes you have a lot of not just like, you know, uh, you know, pull factors that attracts you abroad, which mm-hmm. definitely I had, but sometimes also like push factors, right? That sure. for some reason, you kind of, you know, kind of, have very strong reasons why you you know you need or you really want to leave the country and that's kind of drives you to take the big leap uh, of faith and uh yeah risk right of uh, just buying uh, the ticket and don't know what your your life was uh, looking like and uh yeah i think that uh, for a certain period of time which i, I really Uh, see a part of my life as I I was actually feeling stuck right that Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to you know to to explore I wanted to live abroad but I didn't know how to make it happen Mm -hmm. in such a way that you know wouldn't you know undermine wouldn't compromise uh, my you know uh, my subsistence Mm
0: -hmm. and when Um, would you say this feeling was was it you know when before when you were in Italy you know trying to find a a better career opportunity when was this desire or this feeling stuck when was this feeling the most uh, pressing
2: um totally like towards the end of my bachelor studies mm-hmm. and you yeah. know the like, beginning of my master's uh, that's when uh, really like you know partly partially because of this like economic situation that i told you that i couldn't really like found, right. find the, like you know skilled jobs that were you know that I could be passionate about for my career, you know, uh, development and um, you know all these concerns and um, not really like seeing many things around that mm-hmm. uh, I felt that at that point of my life was uh, quite uh, a watershed. Uh, mm-hmm. But sometimes really when you're just touching the the bottom, right, you kind of realize that okay, you've got to figure out ways, you know, to make it happen, right? And mm-hmm. uh, funny enough, like I think that technology also played a big time, to- a big role in. Uh, In the, you know, for me, essentially like uh, imagining new possibilities Mm -hmm. because uh, I I bought my first, well, with my small salary uh, as a waitress, I bought my Mm -hmm. first uh, laptop. um, and, uh, I started, you know, like doing research on my own on, uh, you know, what are the things that you, you know, what are the scholarship that you can actually, you mm-hmm. know, apply for that I can actually support you to go abroad. I, I you know, like Facebook as well. Right. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. browsing people like, you know, browsing, like, uh, you stumble you
0: know, on opportunities, of, right.
2: Yeah. 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 Profiles of people that, you know, you don't even know because they're not part of your, you know, like social network when mm-hmm. you grew up. Because let's put it this way: when you grew up, like in a, you know, in an environment that is uh, maybe, you know, not necessarily like, you know, sometimes it's not a matter of income, but you know, like more of education. So, right, right. Um, you know, if you grew up like with the, you know, like in a family that didn't, you know, really have like, you know, high education in a village where like most of the people didn't really like pursue higher education, most likely your friends and the parents of your friends and the friends of your friends and the of the parents of your friends.
0: Yeah, the Wouldn't world pass. is very small, right? It feels like yeah. this is the world that you know, and because no one else has that curiosity to lift the lid or to, you know, leave the exit the circle, right? The circle that is drawn around this sort of community, your world feels smaller, right? But I imagine that's quite a a big breaking point, right? Like a watershed moment to be able to see opportunities abroad. And then jumping forward, you mentioned, you know, as you did your masters, you came to Singapore. Could you tell us about that big transition and maybe that about the culture shock experiences when you first came here?
2: Oh yeah, totally. I can do that. But in between, yeah. I have to warn you that there is another master's. So did like the master oh, that yeah. I was telling you about is not the Singapore one.
0: <laughs> oh wow, a master of many, yeah, not a master of none. Impressive. But do go on, do go on.
2: No, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm older than what I look. So uh, yeah, there, there was uh, the, the, fir- the first time of being stuck was, uh, you know, like Singapore was not even in the horizon. So it was like, so, you know, I kind of like went by smaller steps, but I still, my first step abroad was still Asia. And that was, uh, you know, partially definitely the reason why I, 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 you know, then I also pursued the Singapore opportunity later on in my life. But that was, uh um, 2012 and then uh, yeah again I I, I I just got like the year before my first laptop started doing research and then starting you know applying for you know um, possibilities and things like to do um, like you know scholarships and things that will allow me to study abroad and I was fortunate enough to uh, come across but also to um, to um, got assigned for um, a couple of scholarships uh, that were provided by the European union really? to study uh, essentially one year abroad like uh, there was a, a semester that was in south korea and another semester in the, the netherlands um wow. and um i mean it was actually two separate scholarships i just combined it as such that it kind of became one year uh but um both were provided by the european commission and then the first one was uh, precisely like south korea and I, I must confess that back at the time i didn't know pretty much anything about south korea <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for yeah. me it was somewhere between japan and china right you know yeah. okay i mean of course you 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 hear a lot about like you know, north korea they like you know like right right bad guy uh but you know like hey south korea uh what is that so you know um because of what this, years
0: were you in, or what year were you in south korea because south korea itself is a, a a marvel of economic development, which we'll definitely go into later. But it, what year were you there? Because I know Seoul, the city, has just evolved like exponentially over the past two decades.
2: Absolutely, I was in 2012. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so that was like mm, well nine years ago. Um, <laughs> back when I arrived, it was already very, very you know like advanced, like a very well developed. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, to the extent that I was actually like you know almost shocked by the you know technology that i could right. find uh, in my daily life over there in korea when i moved actually to korea i didn't have a smartphone because nobody <laughs> had a nobody i mean well nobody i think that just more like the more really like high tech or right, right. Uh, you know um wealthy people would really like you know have a smartphone but uh, you know most of the people like that I, I knew really didn't have a, a smartphone and I didn't have one uh, as well but yeah I moved uh, to South Korea and uh, everyone had a smartphone and in fact I bought a second-hand smartphone over there it was my <laughs> first the first smartphone I had in my life so my first app was Kakao Talk that the signature app in Korea
0: right the Kakao
2: sound exactly that's a funny sound so, yeah, so that was actually my first, uh, you know, exposure to Asia, my first time living abroad, my nice. actually first time living without my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was quite a big, uh, big difference, okay. but I loved it. And uh, I fell totally in love with South Korea, with Asia, with the pace of life, with the, um, you know, for me, everything was new. Mm-hmm. And um, I was amazed by the fact that, you know, things seemed to kind of go on, go on like 24 hours a day, uh, uh, you know, everything open until late at night, and you could do like all sort of activities, like going to a spa or a karaoke bar, you know, mm-hmm. at like any time of the day at night, and and kind of um, messed up, but in a good way. <laughs> preconceptions that i had about you know like an ordered life or you know a normal life and uh i loved it and uh i wish i could have stayed longer um than my semester but yes. uh well then i had to, to to move to the next steps and the next step was the netherlands and uh, uh which was also an interesting experience but uh definitely very different and very like much closer let's put it this way to you know the Um, the culture and the type of, uh, you know, environment that I sort of like grew up
1: Mm -hmm.
2: also because, uh, you know, I was also studying in a small like town in the Netherlands, which is called Maastricht, which Uh is famous uh, for a treaty of Maastricht. That's one of the, you know, key treaties for the foundation of the European Union. And in fact, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the masters that I was doing back at the time was uh, uh, also, part of the the studies were involving European studies, and that's why, you know, that was Mm -hmm. the reason. Very
0: symbolic, right? Especially in the field of work and the study that you were in, you know, political science and economic development, that's really the the foundations of the European society.
2: Yeah, yeah. So these these two experiences really helped me a lot to you know, to improve my English in first place, which sounds like, uh, you know, obvious, but uh, it's, uh, well, precisely because it's obvious, it's it's a, it's a, a basic, but uh, very important, uh, you know, basis to have a career abroad, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh but also to, you know, not only learn new things, to meet new people, but uh, also to feel more confident than to apply for job opportunities abroad. Mm-hmm. And uh and indeed right after, you know, um so this was like the the, the right the year after, um I um, applied for another internship at the um, European Commission, and uh, I, I it was highly competitive, so I was like really okay. like it was actually not my first time applying. I already applied the previous year, but couldn't mm-hmm. get through. I was like very skeptical of uh, you mm-hmm. know any opportunity to actually like uh, being able to get it, but then yeah, it worked out. So I moved to Brussels uh, in 2014, and I worked there. Uh, you know, I did this internship, then I found another job, also in the in the you know same sector i was and uh, i stayed there uh, for almost two years uh until like the time that i moved to singapore mm-hmm. and then then to go back to your question which is like <laughs> why did i de- decide to move to singapore i'm sorry for all these like digression but uh,
0: no, this is what this is this going deep is all about you know giving you the time to share your story and really for us to our listeners to really follow your journey so please do continue
2: yeah it's quite uh uh, yeah it's quite uh, a journey which has a lot of different legs and sometimes uh, like really like not linear and uh not so straightforward but i think uh, that kind of might also kind of help like whoever listener who's might not be who must feel lost right who must feel that you know they don't know whether you know they've been going in the right direction right now they're like you know uh they have taken some like you know path that were not exactly you know aiming at what maybe they want at this point of, of their right, life that, right. that these are possible that they're like you know it's just uh, like life is made of many different, uh, yeah. uh you know, paths that uh, and decisions that uh, you know, you don't have to get it right from the first time, but can also be you know, uh, many trials and still lead to um, to a fulfilling uh, you know, ending. And yeah. now it's not the ending, anyways. <laughs> yeah, life
0: <laughs> is very unstructured, right? I think when you go through you know, primary, secondary, university. All of that is very, very structured, and suddenly you're just let let out into the world to make your own life decisions, and you realize that life life is just a lot of trade-offs where you have to, you know, it's trade-offs that are not guaranteed, right? It's hope you hope or you make educated guesses on what to do next with the hope that you get the thing that you are setting out to achieve. But uh, you know, let's go back to your story. You know, so you're thinking about you know going for another master's at this point in your Belgium, I think is where you mentioned in Brussels. And yep. then, what was the big spark factor you mentioned about Singapore?
2: So yeah, so I think that, uh, you know I was like in Brussels uh, with a young professional there in the field of uh, European policies, uh, uh, mostly working around education, international mobility. It was interesting. My life there, you know, was was alright, but you know, I always had because I had this I had this like too short experience of Asia and I had this like kind of you know always on the back of my mind that I would have liked to sort of uh you know live there longer experience on like learn more like um have uh, some not just You know, academic experience, but uh, really like professional experience Mm. in in the continent. In a continent that was like growing, and you know, like at the time, and it's still growing, right? I think that um, Europe, uh, you know, recognized that uh, the big chunk of uh, you know the 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 growth and you know innovation, uh, well, of course, coming like a lot, like especially technology-wise, to the United States, but um, also from from Asia. So for me, it was uh, definitely. uh, Uh, like part of this like uh like sparkling curiosity that was still lingering there um after my little like uh, appetizer that i had um and then uh, um i was really feeling thirsty to learn some more and explore new parts of the world and specifically like this uh like the asian continent Uh, so i had a friend that i met I met uh, in Brussels actually we were working we were doing the internship originally together um and then who actually who pioneered uh, the the way for me uh, because uh, the, the 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 year before I moved to Singapore she actually uh, got accepted to this like masters program in public policy at NUS uh, and, That's uh, the
0: National University of Singapore for folks that might not know. But do go on.
2: <laughs> correct. Sorry. I, you know, I became too Singaporean uh, with acronyms that yeah, I can Yeah, you're a local now.
0: You're a local. You blend. Yeah, you're, you're part of the fab, cultural fabric.
2: <laughs> so, yes, and the National University of Singapore, um, so there was this uh, master program in public policy who uh, used to offer also like uh, very generous scholarships, um, you know, for um, both uh, like uh, local and international students. And my friend was, uh, you know, one of those uh, benefiting uh, from mm-hmm. such opportunity. And uh, for me, it was really like, you know, the bell kept that kind of. Uh, you know, just I needed to ring to bring back uh, all my, uh, you know, uh, plans and uh, all my, you know, uh, dreams of... uh, Uh, you know exploring more the asian continent so mm-hmm. um i essentially followed a similar path like the year after uh, i simply applied for the same masters and the same scholarship and uh, i was uh, yeah fortunate enough uh, to to have uh to to being accepted mm-hmm. and uh, that's uh what um that's what brought, brought me here i that what actually gave me the comfort to take uh, this uh new like leap of faith and uh in the summer of uh, 2015 i packed my suitcase and uh, i moved uh, yeah um 18 8000 kilometers away <laughs> from uh from you know from home uh, uh, from from Brussels and again uh, similarly to to South Korea similarly to Seoul again to a city that I've really literally never been before mm-hmm. and that uh, I didn't knew anyone except for for this girl that um, by the way back at the time she was also doing an exchange program and she was in China <laughs> so she wasn't even there oh she left you without <laughs> telling you oh, wow no she, she she's a spanish so she's not italian but uh, yeah she was uh, she was uh, also doing this masters and part of the masters she was doing this exchange program in china so yeah i moved again uh, and uh, started uh, this masters program and uh, and i still think that it was uh, one of the best decisions of my life um and, i mean one of the best definitely i could make for my career yeah absolutely. Uh, the master's program was uh, was was great. I really had the chance to deepen my economic analysis skills, uh, to learn so much more about Asian economies, uh, the governance systems, the society, the culture, um, and to meet uh, to literally meet people from all sort of Countries in the region and countries that I mean I would have never thought that I would have ever met like uh, uh, you know somebody from Bhutan or like you know Timor Leste and uh, you know uh, Maldives I mean people working in the government right so people with having like really first hand experience of the challenge of policies or you know facing those uh, those countries and that uh, that was really you know um, a great experience for me that really shaped uh, um, the the, the, the the my career and um, the 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 reason why you know um I was uh, then um, in a good position and um, to 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 get the the job that I'm currently you know doing
0: amazing I think your journey from you know small village small town in Italy to moving across Europe traveling to Asia and living there for months in, in Seoul and then now to Singapore where you are currently now Let's talk more about your current role, you know, working at the World Bank, you know, I did my preliminary research and, you know, I have you to, to lean on for, you know, the, the deep dive. But the World Bank is a NGO that focuses on alleviating poverty in uh, smaller uh, smaller countries, developing countries. That's the high level understanding that I have and through the time that we spent together I've pieced together, you know, hints of what you do, but can you share more about what you do with your role? and what economic development is, especially compared to humanitarian aid or uh, philanthropy. I think that our audience would be really keen to learn more about what you do on a day-to-day
2: yeah uh yeah thanks uh for for this question i'm really happy to yeah to, to answer uh about uh yeah what the 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 world bank is doing and then uh in the my smaller scale what uh what my role within the bank is uh, so let's start from the big picture um you know what uh, the, the 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 world bank is doing as i said it's uh, essentially it's um international finance institution and providing the loan to developing countries not necessarily small also like large countries countries like indonesia china is a beneficiary of uh, of countries uh, i think that the cutoff point is simply the you know income level so mm-hmm. uh, you know like developed countries like singapore are not eligible for you know uh, our lending but um, um low-income and uh, middle-income countries uh, are so this is a uh, pretty much the scope of our lending and the purpose mm. of the projects is uh, that we are lending our money for is uh, you know like mostly for development purposes uh, what does it mean i mean the mission of the organization is twofold uh, one um Uh, alleviating poverty and the second one is boosting shared prosperity so essentially we are supporting any type of economic project that uh, uh, you know helps to you know either you know lift people out of poverty uh, in like many different ways Um, I specifically work in the infrastructure sector so I work a lot with uh, projects that are really like aiming at uh, bridging the gap in access uh, of to you know basic services such as Hmm. electricity, transport, water, um, but uh, a lot of my colleagues are working in education and healthcare, you know, like uh, um, access to financials, like to basic financial services for, you know, like poor people, um, you know, so there's very different like parts, like very different like, you know, sectors that are, you know, within the bank, but the the products uh, are mostly like loans, um, loans and grants, so there are, depending on the level of income of the country, there are, uh, you know, either grants that are essentially like at uh, uh, nearly you know like uh, no interest rate and then there are like uh, loans that are uh, just at highly contract concessional rates mm-hmm. which means that um Essentially, uh, we are not making profit, but we are charging essentially the cost of financing and mm-hmm. uh, plus, uh, you know, just the administrative expenses and transactional expenses. Mm-hmm. So the um, the organization is a, a not for profit organization, but it is a governmental organization, which makes it different from you know NGOs, right? Mm-hmm. So. In mm-hmm. instance, yeah so when you asked about like you know like philanthropy right and uh you know um typically philanthropy is uh you know the, relates to the funding right typically mm-hmm. it comes from like the funding of private individuals or foundations that uh you know care some good causes right mm-hmm. um and in this sense like we are not a philanthropic organization because our funding comes from governments um mm-hmm.
0: I read this at 189 different governments that
2: contribute
0: to it. Someone did his homework right
2: now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you did your homework. (laughs) I'm very impressed. So yeah so the um, of course the uh, countries are contributing depending to you know their uh, capabilities uh the larger contributor is uh, obviously the united states <laughs> um uh, but uh you know and, and 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 but every country has a sort of like you know a stake in the, um in the in the decision making right of the you know essentially the project that they to, get get approved so the our board of you know the the board like in every like bank right you have a board uh, of directors. That approve um, uh, you know, the, the, the the lending, and, and our like board of directors, the the people are nominated by the countries. So, uh, in this sense, it's a it's really like an international organization uh, that uh, kind of works at the with, you know, with 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 governments, and it's made of governments. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the decision making and uh, the work we are doing to a certain extent is humanitarian. I mean, I think that the humanitarian work is mostly, uh, you know, like essentially anything that relates to the improvement of the human conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are working in a like, you know, like a narrower sector that we are literally working in the economic and, you know, like financial, like aspects of the humanitarian type of, you know, the the, the, the work. Of yeah. course, uh, there are many other type of humanitarian work that can relates maybe more to you know uh, you know m- uh, medical rights you know like uh, Medicine sans frontiere you know like this like uh, uh, you know these organization that are really like you know providing you know assistance like you know yeah, of, like World medical Health
0: organization right like different focus but very global reaching
2: Correct, and then um, you know, like human rights as well. Um, we are really, we are really working on the you know, like economic and financing side, uh, but uh, it's still part of this big family of uh, yeah, humanitarian uh, uh, work. Um, yeah, like so to this is a big to give the, the big picture and like, you know, to go like a smaller uh, <laughs> in, in my role. Uh, yeah, as I mentioned, I saw so my my title is an uh, infrastructure finance analyst, mm-hmm. so I work uh, in the, um, as the name suggests and uh, for like infrastructure type of projects. Mm-hmm. Um, um, as a an analyst, it's like, you know, like, um, like relative like junior medium role like a mid mid level mid level junior role uh within the organization and um i'm doing a, a different type of uh, work it's not part of it is also like you know financial analysis as the yeah. name suggests but not only that a lot of the our work really relates to uh you know uh communicating the the, the type like you know communicating the um analytical work that we are doing and engaging the the, the governments and to really like uh, have a dialogue with governments to build with them um you know uh, solutions and projects that kind of like meet um the the problems that need to be addressed mm. so um uh it's, it's it's for instance i work a lot in um in the field in the in um power like you know uh, energy mm. sector you literally
0: keep the lights on for millions of people around the world but yes electricity power but go on sorry i had to make these, these silly jokes can't help it <laughs> no,
2: uh-huh. no yeah, yeah like you know like yeah we are like sometimes we're literally like lightening up like you know, like villages, you know, especially like remote areas that uh, they 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 weren't connected to electricity before. and um so we're working at the uh, project level uh, at the same time, actually, what uh, maybe I haven't mentioned before, the organizations it is, is such a like, you know um, Big and, like, to a certain extent, powerful organization that has accumulated a lot of expertise does not only limit to the lending part, but also provides a lot of, you know, uh, technical assistance and uh, advisory uh, type of, uh, um, you know, um, uh, uh, knowledge and, and uh, advice that uh, to, to to the government themselves so a lot of times we are working also uh, supporting the governments for you know reforms for instance in the you know power sector now uh, clearly with the big uh, you know climate change uh, uh, you know agenda and climate transition needs we are supporting uh, you know governments in the region to uh, adopt uh, not only to finance, uh, of course, the projects, uh, you know, like renewable, like phasing out coal that you know mm-hmm. the, the country needs uh, to develop that, but uh, also really uh, with, uh, you know, yeah, planning, right? Like develop, like helping them to, you know, um, make. Uh, uh, We're also like, you know, like financing, you know, like supporting the the the, the, the financing of, you know, like some. Planning uh, for uh, um, least cost planning for power generation in, in you know in 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 the country. So it's a, there's a lot of uh, uh, you know support at different stages, so even before getting to the you know project uh, you know implementation level. Mm-hmm. There is a uh, um, very different parts that are uh, part of the bucket of of the the work that uh, we are doing and that that I am doing as well. So. This is really like the part that I find most fascinating that uh, the work is very diverse. I don't do one, uh, you know, task uh, all the times, but I do really like multiple tasks from writing, uh, you know, like from, yeah, from, you know, like number crunching, writing, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, reading, engaging with the the, the clients, engaging with the other like partner organizations that are working in the sector Mm -hmm. and um, yeah, the role is very diverse.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. And just to recap, it's just going to reflect some of the insights that you shared. and some of my own extrapolation. In a way, it reminds me of something that I learned of when I was in high school and early into college of you know, microfinance, where Mohammed Yunus started something called the Grameen Bank, which really focuses on helping really, really, really small communities, like one, a a single mom who wants to start her own, you know, chicken business, and all she needs is 20 U.S. dollars equivalent to start her own chicken business, which then she can use to feed her family, sell to other people for cheaper eggs, which in turn can be reinvested into the community. So if that's microfinance at a super high level, what the World Bank does and what you contribute to is the definition of macrofinance, right? Like that on an extreme scale, right? Like funding entire countries on massive projects, whether it's roads or bridges, power grids, That's that's really cool to be a part of. And I can't imagine, you know, just, Knowing that you worked on a project that you know whether it's kept the lights on, you know powers the next generation. That's super duper cool, I and mean, it's it's very rare to meet people that work in this field, especially from my bubbles or my circles of you know, product marketing, consumer technology, where it's much more focused on you know monetizing, getting people to use your app, getting people to pay for a product that you're launching. So it's very cool that you know the circles that you are a part of and the communities that you you are are building, it's really impacting the world in a very positive sense and I think you know, the work that you do really does a lot of good in the world and you know, I think it's a pleasure to hear so much about your experience and you know, to share, shed a light on this part, I guess this part of the value chain, right, that is not often talked about or understood by most people in my social circles or here in Singapore. So yeah, I wanted just to thank you for sharing these really cool insights.
2: Thank you so much, uh, Derek. That's a very kind word. And uh, yeah, I think that every you know, every different angles, right, like the private sector, the public sector that, you know, like, yeah, like, as we are a bit of this uh, uh, um, weird animal that uh, we are working together with the public sector, but, you know, like we are not like, you know, one single country, but more like, you know, the, uh, the product of, uh, like, collective, collective decision making, Mm -hmm. which is international organization, but, you know, it's kind of, yeah, uh, of course, addressing like the issues from different angles, and you're right that we are working more on the, you know, like big picture side, uh, sometimes it's important actually to get to be in touch with the like smaller like micro as you said right mm-hmm. like the mm-hmm. micro perspective which is uh, you know might sound less impactful, but actually it's not because you know it, mm. the 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 sum of like, the many small actions that you know also contribute to um, to, to, to 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 creating or solving like uh, problems and, uh, and and solutions as well so yeah um but yeah definitely uh, i mean it's um it, it, its it's a pleasure for me like to, to to share a bit about this this part and i i totally see that how it can be not so you know very like well known or accessible for a lot of people working you know like in, in the private sector also because it's um you know some somehow it's uh it's a little bit uh, uh you know linked to the politics both mm-hmm. uh, you know in the you know the decision making uh, uh, and also to the fact that uh, because we are working with the governments right so sometimes it's a kind of melts um, it, it, our work it uh, of course trying to shape for the better ways the policies that are taken uh, and implemented uh, and uh, financed by the countries we are working with but a lot of time and this is uh, you know also sometimes what is uh, a bit frustrating about the job is uh you know sometimes the um, the project the work gets uh, a bit um, lost mm-hmm. in the you know in in the national politics of the country itself oh because yeah ultimately the you know the ones who are going to you know borrow the money the go- ones who are going to implement the policies the the programs the projects are the government themselves right and um, so sometimes we are really working for like uh, you know many years on um, a project on a program on a, on a policy support and then uh, maybe new elections come and then new government, and everything falls apart. Mm. So, yeah, so this is uh, a fascinating aspect. Uh, at the same time, it's uh, also um, sometimes, uh, um, you know, a bit. Uh, uh, frustrating uh, for both parties, I guess, uh, that uh, a lot of work gets uh, get lost because of, you know, political decisions that, uh, you know, um, of course, like uh, I and, uh, you know, my organization doesn't have influence on. So that's. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know, you know, a lot of my friends and including myself, we were worked in large you know, corporates and there's this notion of a oh, big company politics, you know, that one exec dislikes another exec so they torpedo the other person's projects or on the other side you have you know government and i think in i'd say almost every government except for the singaporean government is almost like laughably inefficient right we're all slow to act slow to think paper pushers you know no one's really trying to make change but and i imagine those two effects combining where you have large 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 corporations you know governments and then you have changing regimes or you know volatility, or just simply a change of leadership or policies. And I can imagine that torpedoing years of efforts must be super frustrating. But to take the opposite lens, I know uh, there's certainly confidential, confidentiality clauses and considerations here, but on the other side, what have been some of the most impactful or the, the most positive projects you've worked on or the things that you really love about your, your role? And again, you take all the sensitivities you need to in describing, you know, change the name of the country, you know, don't mention countries at all, but uh, yeah, I think it'd be really cool to hear what is on, like, what's on the bright side of your work or the work that you do?
2: Well, I mean, we, uh, um, well, I, a lot of the work that, we do is really like uh, it's measured by literally, as I said, by the number of people that have access to electricity that didn't have before right, so mm-hmm. uh, we have uh, for all the projects that we're doing we have uh, you know indicators that uh, are measuring uh, you know levels like before and after the project is implemented, so it really like literally projects that are changing people's lives uh you know uh, one uh, way or another uh of course like for the better um and uh, what i really like is uh i, I it i, I can uh, you know maybe i will avoid to make like specific mm-hmm. example of one country rather than the other sure uh, but um uh, it's what i enjoy the most and i think this is i'm just talking a little bit from a, a human perspective is uh uh really like seeing well not only of course the the you know physical products of the work but also while uh you know we are like meeting with the actual like counterparts not only in the government but you know like uh, civil society organizations Um really, uh, really uh, you know the the, the First of all, the fact that there is an actual problem that needs to be solved, because let's, that, let's, let's, let's uh, <laughs> speak, uh, <laughs> that's the be honest. like a lot of, of time, like, you know, a lot of time, a lot of jobs are fixing, are creating, you know, needs and then fixing problems for, you know, problems that weren't there. That's not real needs.
0: problems, right? Yeah. You're solving really trivial things. Like how do we get people to click this button more that, yeah. Needs some metric that it makes you paid more, but isn't really making the world a better place.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it can definitely—I mean, it can definitely, I mean, uh, it can definitely in, improve uh, uh, experience and you know satisfaction of, of many things. But uh, what I really find like you know interesting of my job, and of course I have a very like partisan view, is that uh, we are really looking at the, you know real problems. So you mm-hmm. know there are countries that are you know yeah coming uh, to us, and they have really like you know. Uh, you know, fiscal constraints, they, 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 they need, uh, they, they need, I mean, in order to achieve the development objective to, you know, just get touch number of people, it, it, you know, get to school, they need to build that road and it doesn't mm-hmm. matter, you know, they, they, they need to do it and maybe they don't have enough finance, you know, they don't have access to finance and they don't have, uh, uh you know the 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 capacity to to, to 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 do it themselves and uh you know that that's the type of like you know projects we are working on so uh what uh i really find the most uh, um, fascinating and uh you know motivating is really the, the the fact that uh we are really like talking about you know like Uh, basic needs of uh, you know Mm. uh, of people Uh, you know when uh, I wake up in the morning and literally like you know I open the tap and I give it for granted but uh, as a matter of fact there are people uh, living in rural areas that uh, don't have access to it and that's one of the projects that uh, we are working on and then uh and i turn on and you know now and uh, maybe i wake up in the morning and it's not like at sunrise and i turn on the light and then i can and that's how i can work and that's how i can plug my you know smartphone and my computer and uh, mm-hmm. uh we have uh, a lot of uh, places that this is like literally not possible and i, I was i was saying that's my you know uh, and even like the possibilities that i got in my life of studying abroad was because i was able to you know like buy a computer plug it to uh, you know uh internet, electricity yeah. yeah and have internet it to
0: read it yeah yeah
2: and then uh, and essentially i am i what i i like to, to to believe and like the story that i like to tell myself is that i'm literally like you know uh working in for giving opportunity for giving mm-hmm. like people opportunities that otherwise wouldn't have um just because they didn't have access to these basic services so yeah this is really like the, the, the parts that uh, i enjoy the most uh, of uh, of my work that's
1: and and good. you know
2: and learning also i mean like the the, the learning curve is huge and each you know that uh, i like i like to to be able to work with different countries right that it's like a, you know each one has like its own like very like specific uh, you know uh, economic context, geographical context, uh, like, you know, of uh, uh, physical constraints. I mean, we are working in, again, like, uh, in a country like Indonesia that has 13,000 islands, and then, you know, mm-hmm. like developing, you know, just like electricity grid is like very, very different than, you know, a country that is, uh, um, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, like uh, Vietnam, right? That is just in one uh, uh, mainland. So it's um you know, it's every every time that the challenge is is new is big and uh, has a, a different uh, articulation and uh, uh, of course it's uh it's challenging and uh, to a certain extent frustrating but precisely because of that um, it's uh it's very rewarding.
0: It's amazing, and I think you know, the work that you do. Even though you are like the Batman. We, you you work for a company that is the hero that we need but don't deserve. I think the world is better because of the work that the uh, World Bank does, and it's incredible to meet someone like yourself who is, you know, one one part of the system that drives towards a better society for all of us. So, I think that's a really great place to to uh, stop on our larger conversation and. can start to wrap things up with you know a few little personal lightning round questions i think uh would be a good way to you know give a little more personal color to melania before we wrap things up so transitioning uh having lived in so many different places having come from you know a a tiny village in italy that i'm sure is famous for its regional cuisine as well what are some foods that you really really miss that you can't get here in singapore (laughs)
2: okay i don't want to like disappoint you yeah Uh, the expectations that uh, are uh, typically expected from an italian but uh, Mm. the real like food that i really really miss the most is bread and i'm not talking. I'm not talking of fancy bread, you know, like uh, a multi-grain sardo, like whatever. I'm just talking of a a very like basic, uh, you know, white bread loaf that uh, this bakery in my hometown makes. And, uh, you know, the outside is like super crispy and the inside is so soft and the taste is so fragrant. Um, It's uh, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's something that I i'm not able to find in any other like bakery uh, like you know around the world let alone singapore and uh yeah and it's really like one of the things that i missed the most <laughs>
0: Must be some of the the, the magical water from the, the textile factories might be a part of it but
2: might as well be I don't know the, what's the magic ingredient but, yeah. but now funny enough there are other bakeries in my hometown that are also not making the same bread but I, I they definitely have access to the same water so yeah. this is not a, uh, perhaps just the water there's something in that recipe yeah. that uh, is very special but uh, yeah that uh, sometimes you know like I really miss like the most the simple ingredients the taste the you know authentic taste that the simple ingredients have and you know i think that the bread is just uh you know like maybe the the, the main one but you know like tomato the the taste of the oil you can find products uh, that are you know like good quality definitely here you can find decent bread in singapore that for sure but uh, cannot really find that one taste
0: yeah in a funny way when some of my friends have asked me you know what are the foods that i miss that i can't get here of course, there's the, you know, the fancy stuff, all the like fresh, you know, fresh, freshly caught fish from the coast of California, but in reality, I go, it's Taco <gasps> Bell, like, I just miss Taco Bell, like, it's not fancy, it's cheap, <laughs> it's processed, great quality control, but I miss Taco Bell a lot, because you certainly can't get it here anymore, I know there used to be one, but that's, I, I feel you, right, it's not necessarily about how unique or how you know high end, how many Michelin stars, it's just something that you ate a lot, or just the familiar tastes and textures. Um, yep. Another question I wanted to ask is about uh, your favorite souvenir or is there something in your living room that sparks joy? Something that you just love every time you look at it, see it
1: or feel?
2: Yeah, so uh, this is a, oh, a funny question because uh, interestingly, one of the souvenirs that I'm most attached uh, to is uh, from this year. So like mm. uh, and actually from a house party. <laughs> <laughs> well, since there had been no travel this year. So I was visiting, you know, some like my friend's home and, uh, you know, for a party, which, uh, you know, like uh, back at the time there were eight guests allowed. So that was like very exotic, I guess. Yeah. It was a, <laughs> one of the largest adventure. But, uh, you know, the reason I really like these like uh, souvenirs is because like it's not one of those uh, cookie cutter ones. Um, it was actually like designed. By my friend, like once I went to her place and uh, you know, like she kind of drew like a sketch on a piece of paper of something that was roughly resembling to a dinosaur, and mm. I found it quite artistic. And she was like, "Oh, it looks very ugly," and I'm like, "No, no, no, I really yeah. like it." So, like that was like not the, on the, the party time; it was like you know just before. And then since she has a 3D printer, she actually like printed that up and then uh, uh, you know gifted it as a souvenir to all the guests that were like uh, taking place of the party. And I still have it, you know, in my in my in my room, and uh, it's uh it looks uh yeah I, I really love it, and it just reminds me of her, and uh, I find it very cool.
0: That's an amazing that's an amazing souvenir. It's uh most time people think of souvenir, it's like the random token or random thing that you buy on your travels, but in this case, this is a very heartfelt gift, you know, made by somebody that you care about, you know, during this chapter of your life here in Singapore. So I. I wholeheartedly vouch for that, that as a great souvenir. And the last question before we wrap up tonight, you know, just to you know before we wrap up this conversation, it's you know, do you have any advice or any wisdom, whether it's book recommendations, quotes, or we'll say life attitudes that you wish you had earlier in your life or any just overall lessons you have for our listeners?
2: Yeah, so I mean the path is uh The 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 future is not uh, a destiny, right? So Mm -hmm. you are the sort of uh, the the master of your fate to certain extent. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are the we don't have to you know uh, ignore the the external factors which definitely influence what we can or we cannot do. But uh, I think that uh, a message that uh, I think. I would really like uh, to to give, and that would uh, I would want to you know come across uh, from the story that uh, I, I I told, and that I shared is really that um, you know it's it's possible like to 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 change with a lot of you know of course the work and uh, determination and. Uh, uh, and also a little bit of like faith, right? Uh, you know, faith, and not not talking of something religious, but uh, you know, in um, you know, in in our own uh, uh, capabilities to to change the story uh, of uh, and to change our destiny and to re- to shape and to reshape continuously. That uh, you know, like if if we make mistake, we can you know we can change it and we can move forward. So I I think that this is the message I would like uh, to come across, and on the uh, on the another another note is uh, also the fact that, uh, you know, sometimes uh, I wish that somebody uh, not told me earlier, but actually didn't tell me er- earlier, mm. didn't like shape my vision of the world in such a way that I would have this dichotomy between the fact that if you're, you know, like a kind and humble person, then, uh, you know, you're sort of like weak and you have mm. always like to downplay yourself, right? So I think that's... Uh, I. What I, I would like also to, to, to say is that like a lot of uh, uh, I, it's possible to be, you know, good per- persons to do something good for, you know, yourself, for the people you care and for for the world at the same time to be determined to, you know, be successful and, uh, you know, to 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 know um, our own values. So I think that uh, maybe I, I, I wish that somebody told me earlier in my life, mm-hmm. but I got to discover it uh, by myself better late than never.
0: That's a perfect way to wrap up our conversation, Melania. That was amazing. All the stories that you shared from your childhood to exploring the world through different educational opportunities. And then eventually you're coming to Singapore and literally keeping the lights on and making the world a better place through all that you do in the world. Bank. So thank you again so much for taking the time to do this podcast. And I know that our listeners will enjoy it as much as I did. But thanks so much, Melania.
2: Thank you so much, Derek, uh, for uh, yeah, giving me the opportunity to share this with, uh, with you. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Of
0: course. I'll talk to you soon.
2: Talk to
0: you soon. Thanks again for tuning in to the Paper Lantern Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Wong, and I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode. We are just getting started with producing episodes and could use your input to help us get better. If you have any feedback for us or suggestions on who you'd like to see as a guest, please don't hesitate to reach out. If you have a friend or colleague that you think might enjoy this episode, please share our podcast with them and tell them to visit our website, thepaperlantern.blog. Thanks for taking the time to listen, and I hope you have a wonderful week. Cheers.